Action! Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Average Critics, joined as usual by Chris and Obi, and we welcome back Julia. Welcome back. How are you? Hi, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm um, currently in my bedroom under the duvet because it's really cold, so, yeah. Yeah, there's absolutely no... It goes from, like, 100 to zero. It was, like, a no, week ago, pretty hot. There's no in-between, and now it's cold. So, no, I know. Um, I'm, I'm freezing yeah. today. Um, but, yeah, Classic no, overall, I'm okay. I'm excited to be here. Oh. Well, you're very welcome. Um, today we're going to talk about indie films, which I think was at your request. Um, so we'll sort of try and break that down, um, what we think classes as an indie film because it's one of those sort of like quite generic terms mm-hmm, um and mm-hmm. good to sort of see how all four of us you know what we think of when when the term yeah. indie film comes up um but i guess first of all we'll kind of go over some film news uh, classically always has to be at least some superhero related film news i don't know if you guys have heard that uh Disney and a lot of other film studios have pushed back a lot of the films that were supposed to be coming out in cinemas this year. Um, so pretty much every MCU phase four slate has been pushed back, including Black Widow and, and all the rest. So that doesn't look too good for the state of cinema in 2020. Um, seems like Tenet and Bill and Ted Face the Music haven't quite given studios the encouragement to release films. Yeah. Um, sorry, was that a question for me or were you just saying <laughs> that to just, everyone? <laughs> it was more just a statement. I was wondering if anyone has any thoughts about, you know, what, is, what does this say for cinema? I mean, How is it going to recover? And... Well, I mean, I, w- I was thinking about this because, so I went to the cinema a couple of weeks back to see Tenet, actually. And I mean, it was empty. Um, but, you know, I was thinking that at what point, because currently we thought that, we were going to get out of lockdown, not just in the UK, but other countries. But then it seems like we keep like going back towards a lockdown-ish kind of style. So when is cinema or when is going to be in public going to be an option? And if so, I mean, are there any, going to be any films released in cinemas? And I mean, I was even thinking, is there going to be an, a proper Oscars next year? Because there's not that many films um, in contention at the moment. Mm. No, I think... You know, Keanu Reeves might win for Bill and Ted. I mean, I hope that he does. No. That would be a great no, day. Did that? That would be hilarious. You're a big Obi, did you fan. see Bill and Ted at the end? Um, I did, and it's actually, do you know what? I've never watched a Bill and Ted before in my life, so I didn't really get a lot of the stuff. But it actually wasn't that bad. I, oh, I, I don't yeah. know if it's just me, because like, I haven't watched many films recently, so I kind of like take what I can get. But I actually thought it was alright. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what they will do with the Oscars. It's a good point, because if they do kind of still go ahead with it, then the options are going to be quite limited. Um, and then whoever wins is sort of, it's like there's always going to be like a bit of a mark against it. It's like, yeah, you won, but... Mm, so, the, you know the Oscars, right? How many films were not released? But do the Oscars not take into consideration films that are put onto Netflix, Amazon Prime, all that jazz? Yeah, they do, yeah, they do. But surely, I'm, I'm sure there's been quite a few films that have been put out there as well this year. Um, yeah, there well, have, but, but there's still going to be like a huge amount of films that aren't being released that were meant to be released. And so they're only going to be released after the Oscars um, or any kind of award, not just the Oscars, Golden Globes or whatever, 
the um, the eligibility eligibility period. Yeah, I mean, wasn't there some controversy a couple of years ago with Roma? Because I think the Oscars at that point had sort of said it still has to be released for at least two weeks in cinemas in LA, which is normally what qualifies for the I, Oscars. I do think. remember that um, because I know, for example, at Cannes, they... Um, there was a huge controversy and they don't allow any films that aren't being screened in cinemas um, to be at Cannes because I think there was a Netflix film being screened and the president of the jury, Almodovar at the time, was very much against it. And so now they don't let anything go on like that. So I don't really know. I don't really know. I think that, um, I don't know what the eligibility period is right now, but I know that in Europe, for any European film festival, I think it has to be like, it has to have screened for like 65 days before and after in the before and after the um, award or film festival. Oh, OK. I mean, is it a case that these film festivals need to get with the times? Like, are they being a bit snobbish or do you need that tradition? Um, get with I don't the times. really know. Get that, with the times. I mean, <laughs> that Scorsese fucking mentality, isn't it? Like, it's kind of gate, gate, gatekeeping in a way. Um, and I think, yeah, I think they should be a bit more inclusive of, because it's not like films that come out on Netflix and Amazon Prime aren't films. They're all films. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and also necessarily less quality. You know, yeah. it's yeah. they've got a lot of production values. I think I think it is, you know, this kind of holding on to what is traditional, you know, has to be. 35 millimeter has you know you know there's there's people who are always resistant to change and um i think these sorts of big ceremonies well i mean can is notorious for being incredibly snobbish so i'm not surprised that can has taken this decision i'm not sure about every single other film festival in europe but but can is very old-fashioned mm. um it is very much a, a, just a display of all of them I mean, don't get me wrong, I love a lot of the films that get screened at Cannes, but it is also a display of the most pretentious films you could possibly find. And they always yeah. win at Cannes. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're not the most... Yeah, they sort of eschew populism, don't they? It's sort of like, mm -hmm. I don't know, some French filmmaker. And yeah, they, they are, like you said, a bit pretentious. But, you know, they're, they're all valid. Um, and also, I guess, just in keeping with... Marvel news. There's a a Fury Marvel, uh, sorry, Disney Plus TV show with Samuel Jackson. Obes, Chris, did you hear about that? Yeah. I, did. I wasn't sure if it was the way I read it. I didn't know if they were if he was getting his own show or if he was going to be on someone else's show. But well, he was kid, so. it was a Nick Fury. It, they said Nick Fury, didn't they? So and but but it could be about his dad. Isn't he Nick Fury Junior, not Nick Fury? I'm no, I've no idea. If they do it about his dad, then it'd be set in like the 30s, wouldn't it? Well, they do a lot of backdated cinema uh, TV series at the moment, aren't they? So, what would you like to see from a uh, Fury TV show? Because I don't think there were too many details about it. I don't really know. Cause, uh, haven't you seen like his backstory? Uh, not a lot of it, but you've seen like a a chunk of it, like how he lost his eye, what he did before he was in the Avengers. In the Captain Marvel film, so I'm a bit maybe. Um, where was he at the end of uh, Far From Home? Maybe something to do with that. That's whatever the hell. The intergalactic. Yeah, he was on the ship, wasn't he? Yeah. 
I'll, I mean, right. I'll be interested in it. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be kind of cool because like, they could do like a, I guess like a pop or FBI drama related around him, like what he did prior to being in the Avengers. I guess. I wouldn't mind seeing like you know a sort of mundane sitcom about them just sitting in the office whilst there's no kind of disasters happening. You know what do they that's do? A, that sounds terrible. Nah, you. It could be like a sitcom. That's a waste of Samuel Jackson. You've got Nick Fury and, uh, you know, I don't know, Agent Carter and whoever, like, just standing by the water cooler having a coffee, being like, yeah, how was your weekend? Yeah, it was all right. Did, did you catch the game? No. You know. Rather than you're, you're the dead. universe being in peril every it single time. It's so different. <laughs> to be honest, I probably would be bored as, yeah, bored out my mind watching that. But it's just a nice change of pace, you know. The universe doesn't always have to be in peril. But... You don't like slow pace stuff, then. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, Mandalorian, mate. You went on the Mandalorian, not slow pace. Uh, that just nothing happened in the Mandalorian. Oh, Glenn, mate, get with it, yeah. I've had enough of you in Mandalorian. <laughs> Oh, well, I won't speak about that anymore. But, I mean, I guess oh, I in the most ham-fisted segue ever, that generally don't feature the universe in peril are, are indie films. So, uh, <laughs> Wait, is yeah, that a like, nice segue. Don't knock it, Chris. Just go with it. So if I say in indie films, I want you each of you, starting with Chris, then Julia, then Obi, to tell me what comes to mind. If I say, right, we're going to watch an indie film, what what does that conjure up for you, Chris? How do you put me on the spot at first, every single time? <laughs> yeah, I just want a hot take, an initial reaction. What is an indie film to you? No, like I guess something that's a bit different. It's not a, along the generic path, like pathway of a, a standard film. So, uh, okay. Yeah. A bit different in in what way? In terms of like bit, plot or, or style? A bit more realistic. A bit more like gritty. I guess okay. like, the only one that I could think of that was suggested would be Peanut Butter Falcon. So it's a bit more gritty, a bit more down to earth. Okay, Julia, what, what's an indie film to you? Um, to me, it's uh, any film that was made outside of a major studio. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That, I guess that's... Question. That's what, that's question. What's that? Go on. Does that mean uh, Netflix films are independent films? Netflix films are independent films if they weren't produced by Netflix. Okay, fair enough. Do you consider Netflix to be a big studio production now? So I think now it is, but um, it wasn't before. So actually, that was one of the films that I wanted to talk about. That was one of the first films that Netflix ever produced, um, actually ever distributed. Um, so I think now it, it is considered a major studio production, but it, um, but it wasn't in the past. So I guess um, like 10 years ago, if you, if you made a Netflix film, I guess it could have been considered an indie film. Um, if you look at the budget and things like that. Hmm. Okay. And then Obi, to you, what you know is an indie film to you? Um. Same as what Julia said about the being outside the five studios, and yeah, 
with that, I connect it to it being lower budget as well. Mm. Oh, yeah, low budget. Yeah. I, think, I think that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because I think, again, the whole kind of concept of an indie film has, like Julia said, traditionally been like not one of the major studios. But, you know, what are the major studios now? Because obviously Disney have bought Fox and you've still got Sony, um, Paramount. And then, but they're like traditional like film studios. Could they have a proper dis- distribution method in cinemas and now you've got netflix maybe amazon apple mm-hmm. who are you know producing content straight for vod so again yeah at what point does netflix become a, a major player and, and does that necessarily mean it can't distribute indie films because if you look at um i guess one of the more recent ones it released um was the charlie kaufman film um i can't quite remember what it was called but um uh, oh, da, 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 I think da, da, I know what da. you're talking about. I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah, that was. So, so that is to me a, like a quintessential indie film. You know, it's it's got like a, a relatively low budget. It's it's got quite like a quirky storyline. Um, it's not kind of the conventional, I guess, mainstream film plot where there's a clear you know, structure of beginning, middle, end, and everything's wrapped up in a nice little bow. It's, it's you know, I watched it and I didn't really like it. It, it was, just, I guess there's more of a director's vision. And I think that is something that often characterizes indie films. So, mm. you know, if Netflix produced and then distributed that, does that mean it's not an indie film? Well, it's not an indie film if it was produced by a major studio. So if Netflix is a major studio, then I don't think it's an indie film. But of course, that meaning has been thrown around and changed for a very long time. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want me to go into it, I can tell you about the history of independent cinema. Um, Go for it. Okay, well, um, uh, well, I guess independent cinema really um, started to flourish when Robert Redford founded uh, Sundance. Um, Is everyone familiar with Sundance? Yeah. Yeah, so that was a film yeah. festival which was meant to showcase independent films. Uh, and that was in the late 70s. Um, and, you know, Sundance is largely credited with distributing independent films. Um, then the 90s came around um, and so many independent films started having massive success. Um, if you look at things like Pulp Fiction, that is an independent film. It was made outside, I think it was a, a Castle Rock production. Um, so all these my smaller uh, production companies like Castle Rock and, and other ones, they, they, were, they were known for making independent films, low budget, um, very much creatively led by the director, by the, by the script. Um, and so major companies, oh, by the way, Miramax, Harvey Weinstein's company, that was an independent film studio. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and Harvey Weinstein is credited with, with, um, with, a lot, with distributing a lot of independent films. But then all the major big budget, you know, uh, Paramount, um, Sony, uh, Fox, they all started realizing that independent films was, was actually having a lot of success and they could lose out on a lot of money. So what they started doing um, is they started buying these smaller independent film studios. So, for example, Disney bought Miramax in 2003 for like $60 million or something. Um, and then every single big big studios started developing their all their own independent sort of branch um brand 
like an independent film branch within them. So if you look at, sorry, I had this written down. I had examples of these because I came prepared, but I've, I I obviously haven't. There's like a box search, that wasn't there. Yeah. So, for example, if you look at companies like what is it? I thought I had these. Um, um, HBO Films. So HBO developed HBO Films. Sony developed Sony Pictures Classics. Uh, Picture House is one. Uh, DreamWorks is actually one. And actually, I have it here on my notes that actually Amazon and Netflix would be considered independent film studios currently, by current standards. Okay. So um, anyway, so um, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, so then they started, so big companies started buying out or creating their own like branches of independent films so that they could still develop their big studio films but still have an independent film and still be in the running for different awards and being screened at different like for example the independent spirit spirit awards and being screened at like um smaller film festivals like sundance tribeca it's telluride etc so actually i feel like the 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 development and the current like playing field for independent films has changed a lot because if we're allowing big studios to go out and buy small um, independent, independent film studios and develop their own films through that, even if the budget isn't small, then it's still technically an independent film, in my opinion. So even though they're owned by, you know, Disney, mm-hmm. technically, because they're a separate entity, mm-hmm. you, would, you know, they would class as... Yeah. yeah. And because the production, okay. it, because it wasn't, because it was produced by this separate studio, so it wasn't produced by Disney. It's not a Disney production. It's a production of this little branch of Disney. So the production mm. would still be an independent production. Production in that case. Um, I mean, one studio that produces a lot of independent films that I would consider that's completely separate from any other big entity is, for example, A twenty four. They produce some really yeah. great films, and they're completely separate. Uh, Neon is one of them. And, you know, if you now that I'm thinking about it, if you consider Netflix and, and Amazon independent, then, yeah, they're completely doing it on their own. How much do I have yeah. to pay before they consider me to be, uh, they consider Netflix to be uh, not independent? Sorry? How much do, like, how much? I mean, per- I don't to- think, I don't think independent necessarily correlates to an exact figure because um, there's a French company owned I think by Luc Besson called Europa Corp and they've done films like Leon the Professional and they also did that one with Cara Delevingne, um, Valerian which I think oh, that was a terrible like, film I can't even express how bad that film was yeah I, I turned it off but that budget was <laughs> so about 150 I. million um, euros but it was still an independent film um, right. because it wasn't created by one of the big studios and obviously you've got mm. things like the irishman was probably like 200 million dollar film so mm. i don't think whereas before they always tended to be lower budget and i think that was because the, the kind of plot line or they just didn't think it would maybe make so much money um, so, so therefore uh, it necessitated the budget being smaller um but even you know if we consider tarantino to be like an indie filmmaker some of like his later films have like much larger yeah. budgets no but the, but that that's that's a very so. important point because i don't think the budget necessarily correlates anymore because even 
I mean, in the past, when indie films were, you know, when, when indie films first became a thing, a lot of those films were going for under a million, which nowadays is just, like, impossible. So even when mm. nowadays you look at a film that's got a budget of 20 million, that's like nothing compared to those 300 million budget films. So even a 20 million film, like, I, I still look at it and think, oh, that could be indie. I don't, but when I look at something that's like 100 million plus, like, wouldn't that production be too massive for it to be an independent film? Then, I mean, what, what? Go on, Oates. I was going to say, my question is, at what point do, does, does a studio become a major studio, if that makes sense? That's a good question. I don't it, really know. I mean, I would, I would have thought that Netflix and Amazon at this point would be co- considered major. But I guess maybe it's one of those things where, you know, the six original major ones are going to remain the original major ones. And anything that comes after that is, is just collateral. Mm. Also, don't a, a, lot, don't a lot of these films do co-production? So does that class as an indie film if they're doing co-production? So like, for example, so like the other week we were talking about Will Smith and how he owns his own uh, entertainment company. And his, a lot of his big films are done for his entertainment company, but that's not a big production company. But it's co-produced with another company. Mm. So does that get classed yeah. as an, in, in the indie bracket or would it get classed as a big film because it's in co-production? I think, for me, my opinion is 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 focusing on the term independent and to me that is if the artistic vision is able to be carried out kind of unfiltered so you often hear like, you know big studios like disney being like oh no you have to cut this character or you have to change yeah. this because yeah. this audience don't like so that's like big conglomerate interference where yeah whereas you know you often hear praise for netflix because they just give you the money and they're like i oh, fucking do what you want with it i don't give a shit so that yeah. to me yeah. is like like maybe currently what like, um defines independence so if will smith you know like we discussed and charlie's theron choose their own projects and, and they seem to have a, a fair amount of creative control then to me that suggests it is independent. But then, you know, these small kind of production companies inevitably need help with distribution or something. And yes, that's probably yes. where big studios come in. So it I, is... I, I think it is a question of creative control at the end of the day. Um, you hear it all the time, um, you know, oh, this Marvel film was in production, but the director dropped out due to creative differences. You always know that, that means that the guy had his own script and then the people at Marvel, at the whatever company it is, were like, well, actually, no, we needed to rewrite it, do this, this, and that. A famous person that did that was actually Edgar Wright. Mm. He dropped out of a Marvel film because they wanted to rewrite his script. And then Ant-Man. in the end of the day, he, which one was it? It was Ant-Man. Yeah, Ant-Man. it was that one. He wrote the script and was due to direct Ant-Man. And he's still credited with the story because he came up with the story. Well, the story of the film. But the script was completely rewritten and he dropped out. Um... And that's actually like really common. Uh, so what, what uh, Glenn, you were saying about the creative control, it's about having the director's artistic vision, but also maintaining the integrity of the script. What I notice about independent films is that the scripts are usually very character driven and the script is mm-hmm. very integral to that part, is very integral to the story. When I think of a Marvel film, I think that the script, they're entertaining, sure, but the script is crap. Like, the dialogue is horrendous. How dare the, you? The, no, 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 oh, listen to me, Obi. You, have to, be, you have to be objective about this. 
The dialogue is terrible. <laughs> there is no, there is literally no storyline. The whole thing is about the effects, the visual effects, the oh, this and that. That's some bold words. That is. That is like bold words. But I, I, but this is the thing. I think Marvel films are entertaining, but you know, I don't think that they should be out there winning awards other than for you know the the visual and the sound and whatever because I don't think that the story is there to me I'm I'm very big on scripts and to me I don't see a script when I see a Marvel film I see you know entertaining sure whatever it's nice I agree with Scorsese and some of the things that he said about it being like a ride at Disneyland it, it does feel a bit like that and it, you know but you know it has changed cinema but sometimes I have to think you know is there any story behind this and there's story behind the comics but often you know the majority of the film is it's just the effects. So when I think of an indie film, the script is very, is very, is very important. And so that the script doesn't have any alterations or interference by the executives, by the big guys on top. To me, that's, that's when I think, yeah, this is an indie film. That it, it's like you said, that Netflix just allows you to do whatever. I mean, not always, but a lot of the time they will bring on a project and they will say, you know, we like the script. We like your vision, like, do it. And I think that that is the true mark of an independent film, is the creative control. How do we know who, who does and doesn't have creative control, though? Yeah. What do you mean? So, like, if a film comes out, indie film comes out, and it was really good, you enjoyed it, um, and you're like, oh, yeah, you must have had creative control. But how do we know that people didn't interfere? With the, how do we know that people didn't interfere with the script and stuff? Well, I guess there's no real way of knowing. I mean, it's, a script is always going to go through a million revisions. Mm. But the idea is that, I mean, you can, I've, I, the one film that keeps coming up in my mind that the Netflix produced and distributed was actually Marriage Story. Mm. Uh, Noah Bombach. I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure about the pronunciation of his name. So all of his films, he is 100%, he is the writer, he is a director. No one messes with that. And I, and I know that, that his vision gets put into it because he doesn't make films if it's not going to be that way. And because his script, and if you, know, if you know a director or a screenwriter very well and you know how their script is, you know how, you know, you, you feel like you can tell, um, you know, if the dialogue is, is different, you know, you can tell the little quirks and, you know, that, that makes something particular to a particular creator. I can tell that that film and I really liked that film because I thought the script was just fantastic. That film was 100% all him, even mm. though it was produced by Netflix. Um, and I feel like, you know, it's also the fact, whatever, now obviously we'll never know what really goes on behind the scenes, but for example, like I was giving the example of Edgar Wright dropping out, you know, there's a reason why people drop out from these things. You know, it does, it does come out in press releases and you can kind of read behind the scenes, you know, well, clearly he dropped out because... They didn't let him do what he wanted. Mm. Um, and I just think that that must be one of the most frustrating things as a director where you've pitched a project, you've written it, you, or, or, you, or you are directing a project with someone who you wrote the script with, you know, you have a different screenwriter and you collaborate together and then the studio's just like, no, you change this character, you add this, you add that. It must be incredibly frustrated. So I think that, you know, when you're signing up to do a Marvel film, you don't have very much creative control. You have to listen to what the studio says. You are there to execute their vision, not yours. And I feel like that's that's the true mark of an independent film. Fair enough. 
I guess you're sort of like a director for hire, aren't you, for these big blockbusters? Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. But if, but I mean, if, that, if that's what they're into, I mean, I'm, that doesn't mean that you're any less of a director because of that. You know, people are going to be different. Some directors are literally there just to direct. And then other directors, uh, you know, Greta Gerwig, Noam Baumbach, uh, Wes Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, they write their own films and they direct it. They do not direct other people's films. Um, that's just that's just how they work and that, that's what they decide to do. Other directors, they don't mind uh, working with other people and doing other things. It just depends on your own, how you work, essentially. Yeah, fair enough. Um, well, I think one independent film uh, that we have all seen recently um, on your recommendation is The Peanut Butter Falcon. You watched I, it? I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, I thought you did. Oh. No, I didn't watch oh. it. I didn't get around to it, but continue. Wait, you, wait you, but everyone else watched it? Yeah. Oh, you guys. That's so yeah, sweet. Uh, so, um, I mean, Chris, we, we've, not, we've not heard too much from you today. I mean, in terms of the film itself, let us know, like, what did you think of it? And, and what sort of did you notice, particularly, I guess, coming into it, knowing it was an independent from the usual kind of... Hollywood films that we see in the cinema. Oh gosh. Uh, okay. Well, that's a that's a lot of stuff to take in there, Glenn. Um, <laughs> I put you on the spot again. Sorry. Yeah, I know you always do, mate. And it's uh, right. I guess my my time shine then. I guess. Um, I guess you can see that like there's not a big budget on the film. Like it's very down to earth. You're just walking through their path to get from one destination to another. So. I can't imagine a mu much money was spent on this film, bar the pyrotechnics and, uh, I guess, swimming through the water and the rest of them things. So it must be a real small small budget. Um, and it's quite nitty-gritty. It's all based on, like, the, the companionship between two people, I'd say, and how, in my mind, mm -hmm. it was how one person is being treated differently, differently in society and then when they've met this other person, this other person hasn't treated them really any differently in society. They're treating them just like they are. But like taking in consideration their, I guess, his, his disability, taking it into consideration, mm -hmm. but not shining a light on it like everyone else has. And it's quite a, yeah. a sweet story of like a, it's essentially a bromance blooming between two people, both down on their luck, both essentially got somewhere to go one trying to get away from something trying to start I guess a bit fresh because something bad's happened to them and the other has been enclosed in like almost like a cage for most of their life and now they're free and they want to do what they want to do they want to have their dream fulfilled i.e be a yeah. wrestler and like I think yeah it's just a good companionship you, you film sorry go on Chris no 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 go on Karen I was just going to say, you summed it up perfectly in the group chat when you said it was wholesome. And yeah. when I finished watching that film, I sort of like, I felt, yeah, you, you, that is ex the exact word to use. It was like, it was, you said sweet, you know, I had a smile on my face. Um, I guess for Ovi, yeah. who might not know kind of the, the plot line, um, it basically follows uh, this boy with Down syndrome called Zach. Um, and he, at the beginning of the film, lives in like an assisted living facility um, with pretty much everybody there is elderly apart from mm -hmm. him but it's established that his family sort of didn't or couldn't care for him um and so the state had to kind of find somewhere for mm -hmm. him to be um he has this dream of being 
a wrestler because he watches videos of the salt water. I think it was oh, like salt. Um, you know. Oh, I forgot his name. The salt water. Red I want to say the saltwater yeah. crocodile or something because that's what it reminds me of. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it was but, saltwater something. Yeah. Yeah. Salt, isn't yeah. It and he, he, yeah. And he escapes from the assisted living facility and then sort of comes across Charlotte Booth's Tyler, who is like a fisherman, but like Chris said, down on his luck. He's been in trouble with the law, and um, and, and they sort of yeah. They, they sort of in this adventure, um, the kind of wrestling school, and uh, and then Dakota Johnson's Eleanor tries, who works at the facility, basically tries to them, and um, yeah, so like the, I think the locations, you know, like you said, Chris, um, sort of suggest to you the budget. It was like real world locations. Presumably, they weren't standing mm-hmm. in front of a green screen for mm-hmm. the entire time. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head with regards to like the intimacy between the characters. It was much more about Zach and Tyler and how Tyler treats Zach mm-hmm. like any other human being, whereas other people in the film kind of refer to Zach in a derogatory way. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Julie, what stood out to you in this film with regards to you know independence and, and how it differs well, standard films? I mean, this is a film that, for one thing, didn't have much of a distribution. I only saw it when it went on Netflix. Maybe it was just me being ignorant, but it's not one of those films that you see posters for it everywhere. Um, Like, oh, it's being screened here, here and there. So that's one thing that kind of stood out to me is the distribution was very limited. Um, Oh, and limited release is a a, um, mark of uh, independent film as well. I forgot to say that. Um, If it's released in certain film festivals and if it's a limited release, that usually shows it as an independent film. Um, Yeah, um, and then also the script, uh, incredibly character-driven, like you were saying about the relationship between Zach and and Shia LaBeouf. Um, The dialogue was very important. I mean, one thing that really stood out to me is when, when Zach's like, I have to tell you something, I am a Down syndrome person. And then um, Tyler, well, sorry, I forgot his name. Shia LaBeouf is like, I, I don't know why you're telling me that. Like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Um, I really, really enjoyed that, that sort of moment of dialogue. And overall, the whole theme of it, big studios don't want to um, take on subject matters in a film that could cause them to lose money. Mm. Um, so... Yeah. big studio films will not go risky and do a film about you know prostitution and abortion and, and if they do it's very subtle whilst independent film studios don't really care they will do a film about anything in this film not that it's anything that I would say is incredibly inappropriate but the dialogue the way that this um, this boy with this man with Down syndrome actually is treated a lot of people would, would find that quite sort of offensive in a way um, the way that, for example, Shia LaBeouf talks to him. Some people would, I, I believe that that's the right way. I mean, that was, that's a great relationship they have. But some people would, would think that, oh, why are you talking to a Down syndrome person like that? Why are you, why are you swearing at him? Um, it, it kind of, it's to put a person with Down syndrome, who I, actually that actor does have Down syndrome, as the center of a film, as the main character. I don't know if I'd see a big studio film doing that. Would they take such a risk? Mm. Yeah, I think um, that's right. 
that, you know, subject matter is a key theme with regards mm-hmm. to independent film. Because like you said, yeah. like independent film is not necessarily about making tons of money. It's more about, you know, getting visibility for storylines or people or persons that yeah. don't usually I mean I don't apart from there is a character in a couple of the American horror story steer, series um, but apart from that I don't think I've ever, ever seen a person Glee. so kind of Glee has one. Oh, okay I'd never watched Glee but oh um, well why don't we do an 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 entire episode just on Glee. I mean, it's a it's a TV show, but whatever. Ob I'm can read it. I'm ready. Wait, ready. did you did you say wait? What was that last bit? I didn't quite catch what Glenn was saying. I was saying that I've not really seen too many kind of Down syndrome actors in kind of major roles, and then um, Julia said that I should watch Glee. Um, oh, I didn't know. But I mean, but this is the thing. Even sorry, I didn't know there was a guy with Down syndrome in Glee. There, there's a, a girl, Becky. Shout out, Becky. Oh right. Oh, I must not have watched enough of it. Um, yeah, so, w- well, again, there have been people with Down syndrome in films um, and TV shows, but usually they're just kind of a minor character or really used as a plot point, like the main character has a child with Down syndrome or something, but they're not central to the story. And in this case, his disability in, is in a way central to the story, but it's also not because his, dis- his disability doesn't define him. If you know what I yeah. mean. Um, yeah, so, um, I mean, you've got, you've put this character and actor who have uh, what some people would consider a disability. I don't, um, in terms of, you know, what they can do and achieve. And um, you put them in the center of, of the screen, but you don't make the whole film about that. Um, yeah. Which I is, think, which is, I think, I mean, very good. There was, uh, uh, to me, this was important because, like, it, it does, it humanizes zach in a way that i guess not a lot of films do and it, there was a, a sequence of you know exchange between tyler and zach which was quite um emotive in a sense where zach says something like um are you a hero or a, a bad guy and tyler says oh I, I i think i'm a bad guy and zach says no you're a hero oh, yeah. and, and tyler says like, what about you he says i'm a bad guy because no one wants me and I've got oh. Down syndrome. And then Tyler's like, you're a hero, you know, you don't need to, you know, you having Down mm-hmm. syndrome is not making you a bad person. That was quite like, yeah, like, um, I don't know what the right term is. Emotive, I guess, I don't know, like affecting. Um, but it's, I think- it's, a, it's a heartfelt scene, if you think about it. Um, it's quite impactful, isn't it? Because like, you're yeah. almost, you, you, you're... You're expressing the words that he's saying, like you're expressing the words that you want to say what Tyler says to that kid, to the kid, because you don't want him to feel like he's a bad guy. It's like almost like trying to represent what what you would want to say, isn't it? Like you, you want him not to be the bad guy. You want him to go with whatever path he wants to and not feel knocked down by other people. Yeah. So, no, I think what I really really liked about that film and stuck out to me was the relationship between them but also the, the the thought that and like I said that his disability doesn't define him and his disability isn't like completely central to the story but at the same time it is you know um what I what I hate is is when a character in a in a film or in a tv series keeps on being defined by things that they can't control rather than focusing on their personality and their ideas and who they are and 
to put Zach in, in such a light because he's, he's very bright and he has dreams and he wants to be a wrestler, which is something that you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about because of the way that we perceive people with disabilities. You wouldn't think about that usually. So, no, yeah. I, I think that that film... I think that that film really played on this, this role and this theme really well without being disrespectful or, um, what's the word, um, taking advantage of it. Mm. Yeah. I think um, I've just sort of had a mini brainwave, which is a, a kind of two vaguely similar films, which I think to me sort of sums up the difference between like a a studio film and like a, a more independent film. And that's Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman. Um, so Bohemian Rhapsody produced by 20th Century Fox, directed mm. by Brian Singer, um, mm. you know, known Who also got kicked out of the film at the end. He did, true. Um, compared to Rocket Man, which was, you know, directed by Dexter Fletcher, whose kind of background is in like British independent films as an mm -hmm. actor and as a director. You know, money was put in by Focus Features, um, uh, Rocket Features, which is, um, I guess, Elton John's own company, and then Matthew Vaughan's Marv. It was distributed by Paramount, but there's two films, you know, where both the uh, subjects are kind of homosexual singers in a time where it wasn't you know acceptable to be that and you've got you know bohemian rhapsody which is a fairly sanitized version of mm -hmm. um freddie mercury's life compared to rocket man which doesn't shy away from the drug abuse from the kind of sexual kind of promiscuity um yeah no definitely that i think rocket that, man, that's the difference bohemian yeah. rhapsody which made a billion and rocket man which made 200 million yeah something. yeah no, but you know what? That that I think like Glenn, that's just the perfect example of of like creative control and things like that. Because uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was a very PG version of of the events. I mean, uh, I mean, Freddie Mercury was a bisexual man. That that's no secret. He had AIDS, so it did touch on the subject of AIDS, of course. But I mean, we saw him maybe kiss his partner one time, and in Rocket Man, you actually get to see, you know. Not, I wouldn't say explicit sex scenes between men, but you know, pretty suggestive. It doesn't shy away from his drug use either. I mean, Elton John's drug use. It's very, it, it keeps that, and it's actually a very important moment in the story. And it doesn't make, and it, it's not afraid to make Elton John, you know, look bad, you know, because mm. you, you know, you don't, you, 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 Elton John isn't painted in this perfect light. He's, he's shown, you know, full flaws. And Elton John had a huge role in this film that like he, wanted his full story to be told. This was done completely 100% with his consultation. I mean, obviously you can't consult with Freddie Mercury because he's dead. Um, but, you know, that film, the Freddie Mercury, the Bohemian Rhapsody film was so shied away from anything like that. And actually, if you don't know this, well, Rami Malek played Freddie Mercury in the finished version, but originally Sasha Baron Cohen was um, signed on to be Freddie. To be Freddie. But he dropped out due to creative differences with the band. And that's why, because Sasha, in his interviews, he wanted to show, he wanted to do, like, he wanted to show the lifestyle, the insane lifestyle that Freddie had, and all of Queen. You know, in that mansion, in the, that's still the Kensington mansion that he had. Apparently that film, I mean, it had, like, I mean, apparently that the parties there were insane. I mean, you had little raiders walking out with, like, tra with a trays of cocaine, it was, you know, it was just like, and I mean, this was the 70s. It was an incredibly, 
um, hedonistic lifestyle. And, and Sasha wanted to showcase that and he wanted to showcase everything in a very raw way. But then the band Queen, who were consulted throughout the film and they had a, they, I think they were the music producers for the film. They were like, absolutely not. Because I mean, for personal reasons, I'm guessing they didn't want any side of this to be shown. And Sasha eventually yeah. dropped out and they cast Grammy. I mean, it worked out Grammy won an Oscar for it, but it would have been a completely different film, a completely different script if Sasha had stayed on. Um, yeah, but, but then I guess, I mean, you are right, but at the same time, you do have to get the approval of the people you're like, showing the life oh, absolutely, of. absolutely, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... No, there's no, there's no way around it. I mean, Elton yeah. John wanted his life to be shown flaws and all. I mean, we don't know how much he showed. Maybe he kept some things to himself. Obviously, he did. But I was surprised when I was watching Rocket Man because I was expecting it to be kind of like Bohemian Rhapsody, which was very clean. And I remember because I was watching it at um Obi, were you there? We were watching it at Tom's house. Were you there that day? I don't think so. Maybe it was just before you arrived. Anyway, um Tom's dad was there and then he was just sort of like quite appalled by some of the scenes. <laughs> it was just me and him watching it. And then he was like, you know, if I was Elton John, I wouldn't want myself like shown to be like that and I was like yeah I completely understand but I'm guessing also and John wanted to didn't want to hold anything back mm. um it was actually quite funny this is why you don't watch films like that with like people of a certain generation because they just get so yeah <laughs> upset and offended by some of the things on there not my yeah. parents my parents are pretty cool but um you know you've got liberal parents I have really liberal parents yeah I'm so lucky that I do as well Oh, I mean, yeah, not that I would yeah. watch like sex scenes with them. That's that's. I can't think of anything worse. I would throw up if I had to do that. But like, um, but like, there's a balance, my... isn't there? You don't want your parents to be kind of really, um, I guess, uh, yeah, too kind of conservative. But then you also don't want them to watch sex scenes and be like, oh, that would be really good. You should try that because oh <laughs> you'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, but but you know when a sex scene uh, comes on and you're watching it with your parents, that's just I don't know. What, in my family, you know. You can tell that everyone acknowledges the awkward silently, but just, you know, you don't want to acknowledge it by, by stopping the film or changing the channel. So you just kind of yeah. sit there awkwardly and then wait for it to be over. Or, or me, like, parents I have, like I have to get something and I leave the room. Like, I'm, I'm not going to sit there. Parents have an uncanny knack of knowing exactly when to walk in at the most awkward points. Like, you could genuinely watch a film that's three hours long and there's a one minute sex scene and your mum will walk in at that minute and be like, oh, what are you watching, you dirty pervert? And you'll be like, what? It's Toy Story 5, you know that. Anyway. I know. Well, I don't um, think to- I can't <laughs> if Toy Story 5 had a one minute sex scene in it. Who would be in it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Obi, um, we haven't heard from much from you today. Are there any kind of indie films that you've seen whether recently or historically, that to you is like, yeah, this is a, a great film, perfect example of why we need indie films. So I watched um, two of the films that Julia said she'd watched, uh, both of Orby Plaza in it. Oh, um, yes! Oh, aren't those films great? I know what you're talking about. They're amazing. So I watched, to first, I think one of them was good, one of them, one of them was shit, but that's just me. But um, I watched uh, The To-Do List. And- uh-huh. Uh, safety not guaranteed yeah um safety not guaranteed is really good um the to-do list is is very shit in my opinion but no i yeah no, okay. the to-do list isn't the best but um both but, but you know i guess you can see why it's an indie film though right yeah 100 percent. yeah so yeah. it's like okay. 
it's like a film. This dude, the to-do list is like a film. I think it made it, made it in like 2013, but it's set in yeah. 1993, I think. Yeah, early um, 90s. Yeah, so they try really hard to kind of like make that 90s aesthetic. Um, and basically, it's just about a girl who's about to go to college, but she's like a proper like, um, she spent all her time being like really studious and stuff. And she didn't really do anything with like boys or girls or whoever. So she's spending the whole summer making a to-do list of sexual activities so she can build her way up to having sex with this guy that she fancies at, by the end of the summer before she goes to college. Um, and Aubrey Plaza is good in it. She does. She's really good at the... I like, mean, Aubrey Plaza is amazing in everything. Oh, yeah. So let's she's... just be... <laughs> like, let's just say that Aubrey Plaza is overall amazing. Fair so enough. But she's really good at playing like the like a very like an awkward girl, like the awkward uh, but also mean and very demanding girl. Yeah, <laughs> it, like just a bit like off key. Yeah, uh, Julia, have you watched In- *Ingrid Goes West*? Yes, great film. Oh right? my god, that film! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like, quite so, liked that film. I like it's that film as well. Film. Yeah, I like that film too. But you know, oh, um, funny moment. So that's the thing with Aubrey. Aubrey only does independent films because um, her partner is a producer and he produces all of these films and they they like to have a lot of creative control in the films that she's in. So I don't think that I would. You might see her in like um, um uh, occasionally do a big budget film, but her thing are independent films, and I think that you can you can kind of see why with the to do list. I mean, first of all, the cast is stacked. Yeah. Um. I mean, but it is incredibly explicit. I don't think, especially when you think about America being so conservative, and this is an American film. I can't imagine it being very popular just because it's. I mean, I don't think I'd seen teen sexuality expressed in such a way before in American yeah. television and I think it's it's quite it was quite a different because uh, I think traditionally uh, people take uh, women to be more emotionally connected with sex and mm, like that yeah. this film takes the complete opposite route like Audrey Parza's character and both her friends aren't really apart from that couple of scenes that bothered emotionally about sex mm. they just want to get their nut in and then move on kind of thing like, yeah, yeah just doing it for re- literally for research purposes and even to be honest by the end of the film like you'd think maybe she would catch feelings for someone at point she doesn't even do that no she doesn't no she doesn't <laughs> like, the whole film i think it does do do well to promote sex as like just that and that, that can be you can be have it connected with a person that you really like or it could just be an activity that you yeah. enjoy and the other person enjoys and you know yeah. it doesn't have to actually mean anything deeper than that so i applaud the film for doing that I think that was good because you don't really see that in many films of that nature. And I and I think you know you know that scene where she does finally have sex with the guy that she fancies, um, yeah. who is like a, traditionally what you consider hot, like really muscular, blonde, like lifeguard type. And then like in the back of his van, and then she's like, "Oh, I, I want to be on top because it increases my chance of orgasm by forty percent." Like to her, it really is just like a. I want to get this done and I want to have an orgasm and that's it. And then he lasts about like 20 seconds. Yeah. And then, and then she's like, um, did you come? And he was like, yeah, did you? And she's like, no, that was like 20 <laughs> seconds. Like it was, it was just like that scene. That was just, that's, that it was very realistic because let's be honest, when you're a teenager, that's a lot of the sex you're going to be having, especially if you're a girl, it's not going to be a lot of orgasms. I can say that as a girl, not currently. Can I just, mm. I feel like we're going down a path here that could like really put some people in hot water. <laughs> no, no, I meant like when you're a teenager, when you're a teenager, sex is going, and a girl, like when you're a teenager and a boy, the sex is just fine, whatever it is. That's my vision of it. But when you're a girl, sex is like really like 
<laughs> not great when you're a teenager. Can we just okay? Anyway, yeah. So um, I thought I that mean, it was really realistic. I mean, I think you, there's a good point there in terms of Obi. You said explicit. I think particularly for like American censorship, there, there's always been like a prudishness about female sexuality mm -hmm. and I think um is it Blue Valentine where Ryan Gosling's character performs Cunnilingus on oh what's oh that God, Cunnilingus I'm not gonna say it there's no nice way of saying it is there he you know whatever he, he went down on her and that was given an NC-17 rating in America, which basically means yeah. it can't be released in cinemas, um, um, whereas it was a 15 in the UK. So there is... It can't be released that... in cinemas, did you just say? Yeah. Um, no, it's basically oh, a, bit of, I mean, a it bit of a waste of time. I thought it would just be R-rated, wouldn't I... it? No, I think, I think NC-17... I mean, I might be a bit wrong there, but basically it's a bit of a death now for, yeah. for um, films. But you know, sorry, sorry, I cut you off. Make much money. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, so I'm just going to clarify what an NC-17 is. But essentially it was a 15 in the UK, but in America, because it was focusing on, you know, yeah, you're right, female, like, um, So, yeah, so. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know the film so Train no Spotting. admitted. Sorry? Yeah. You're, you're you So, sorry, I'm just going to read from, um, says the NC-17 rating has been described as a kiss of death. Um, it limits to films prospects of being marketed, screened in theatres and sold in major video outlets. So essentially, oh, okay. I guess maybe it's not, not, not allowed in cinemas, but because they're such a restricted audience, they're not necessarily going to make loads of money, so they're probably not going to show it. Um, yeah, so no, I guess you I, have I, Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, you have to edit them. But you know the film Train Spotting, um, which is a British production. Um, in America, it was also given that that rating or similar, whatever it was at the time. And the only reason was not because of the heroin use, not because of all of that, even though which is very explicit heroin use, but because there's a scene where Hugh um, McGregor's character is having sex with um, what is her name? Kelly something. McDonald. Anyway. Kelly McDonald, yes. And she's on top and she orgasms. And because there's a female orgasm in it, that whole film couldn't be screened in America. Really? Yeah. But because there's a female orgasm. Yeah. That might be mad. They even have a, there's even a dead baby in that film and they're like, nah, it's cool, I but know. she can't have I know. No, it's, it was no, it's but it but it is like that. Um I mean, and the thing with the to do list is that it's it's very explicit in a and it, it, it makes a point of not being tasteful. I mean, there's a scene where she's like giving this guy a hand job in the cinema and then you see like his cum on her hand. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and, her hand, and she's like opening and closing it because it's like really sticky. And it's uh. like, it's, it's like, it, it isn't, it doesn't try to be tasteful either. Like I can't imagine any, any big film wanting to, to be associated with it. And, and it's not to the point where there's like, at no point do you see like anyone's penis on the screen. Nothing like that. It's just is it's it's also the things that they say, what they're talking about. It is it can be considered, I think, quite vulgar. But I I, I liked it because it was so honest. Didn't think the film was great overall, yeah. but I did like the idea behind it. Obi, talk to us about safety not guaranteed then. Um so in my eyes, that film's way better, I think, personally. Um and it's basically it's a rom com. Uh 
It's oh. not a rom-com. It is. It, what is it then? It's not a rom-com. What is it then? It's, it's like a... But this is the thing. It's an ind- it's a film that doesn't have to be constrained by any kind of it's definition of it. it's not a rom com. The genre online on Rotten Tomato, they put it as a comedy. It's a comedy, yeah, it's funny. Uh, fair enough. All right. There is com- romance in it. Yeah, rom com. <laughs> oh, right, anyway. Fine, whatever. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a film about uh, three reporters who they see an ad from a geezer so basically saying Mark um, yeah Mark Duplass who's saying um, uh, wanted a partner to travel back in time with I've only done this once uh, safety not guaranteed blah 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 finger and weapons blah 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 blah. so they think the guy's nuts so they go and like investigate him to try and like get get a good story Um, and basically Aubrey Plaza's character and him uh, she goes like, undercover kind of thing to try and find out if he's nuts or not. But they end up like developing a relationship and stuff like that. And um, I think they basically use the time travel as a, like a metaphor for life and life with and without a partner. Mm. Um, and he talks about, Mark Duplass's character talks, talks about um, go, go wanting to go back because of regret and because of love and because stuff like that. So I think it's kind of trying to compare it to like come maybe getting over a past love so you can move on with a new person and deciding after that whether or not you want to live your life alone or if you want to live your life with a partner. Um, and they can't, one thing I didn't like about it, I don't know, Julia, if you agree or not, but there's like a side plot with um, Jake Johnson, who's in New, who's Nick from New Girl. He's, he's got a uh, like a side plot with mm-hmm. um, an old flame, basically, who he, he's one of the reporters. He goes to the town just so he can visit this old flame and rekindle love of her and stuff like that and it kind of i liked what was happening with him and this this woman but it felt like he was two different films and i think if you i could have watched those two separate storylines in two different films and enjoyed both of them but the two of them didn't mm. really uh mesh together in my in my opinion but i did enjoy it and that even that's mate it's, this film's a rom-com bro that's a rom that's a rom-com element as well he was crying and shit yeah man this, this film's a rom-com did he say did he play a Make funny character again? I mean, there was funny moments. No, but like, he, yeah, was, he, was... He, always, he always plays like a funny character. Was he playing like a funny, like a... Yeah. I yeah. always see him as like... Yeah, he's, he's very sarcastic in, in yeah. the film. Because he's, he's kind of like the proper reporter. And then the other two, Obu Plaza's character and this other guy, his name I don't know, they're just like the interns um, oh. who go with him. Um and, you know, the idea is that Aubrey, like, really bonds with this guy. Well, the character of Aubrey, Darius, really bonds with this guy. Also, he's called Darius. I think that's a yeah. really strange name. Crazy. Um, oh, do you know Darius who was on X Factor? Oh, oh mate. Don't do even. Don't do it, mate. Don't do it. Oh, oh, my that guy. Is he one who's colorblind? Yeah. Confirmed. Oh. Beautiful. Oh, Check it out, Julia. It's okay. worth watching. It- Okay, I, I, I don't know. Sorry, I interrupted you, but you uh, um, evoked a very powerful memory. Oh, that, 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 that's what films are meant to do, Glenn. They're meant to bring <laughs> you back to points in your life and make you feel things. So I'm glad that this film made you feel that way, even if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, yeah, so this character, Darius, really bonds with him. You know, she's also, I mean, in the beginning of the film, you see that she lives alone with her dad. 
Um, and he's always saying to her, like, you don't have any friends. Like, why, why don't you go out more? So she is very reserved in a way. And this guy who basically lives in like a cottage in the woods is also, you know, from the beginning, we know that he's strange because he thinks he can go back in time. So to us, that would feel strange. So it's got this sort of absurdist sense of humor where a lot of the film, you know, you've got them, you know, she, at the same time that she's bonding with him, she's, you know, re- relaying information back to, you know, her boss and the other intern. And at the same time, her boss and the other intern are also digging around and trying to find things. So it is incredibly character driven. There is obviously a very clear plot, but it is also very character driven. You see that a lot with the conversations between Aubrey and Mark Duplass. Um, so, you know, the, the, there's that. Um, also with that film, what you may not know is that it is considered one of the films that changed the course of indie cinema because that was the first film that Netflix distributed as a distributor. Oh, really? Uh, yes, yes. Um, what film is that, It is the first film that Netflix distributed as a distributor. Oh. Um, and this film it's a first time director and first time screenwriter so the director and the screenwriter two separate people they had this vision and netflix sort of gave them the tools to do that um so and that was the first time i mean at that point netflix hadn't really done that much other than stream this was a this was released in 2012 i think so this was the first time that they'd actually gotten their foot into the film industry in that way um so it is it is it is considered a very um momentous point in um the the, the the what we now consider the modern distribution of cinema i don't want to be too kind of hyperbolic here but do you think like netflix and, and maybe amazon as well are kind of the most important players for independent cinema at this current time because they just seem to sort of really encourage and enable independent filmmakers first time directors whatever to sort mm-hmm. of just do what they want and and you know learn from it like they're not all, all good but similarly you know you can get some real gems what you, you, you what can you- yeah i think that i think it is a lot like you said it's a bit hyperbolic to say that they are the major players but at the moment the way that cinema is going in general you can say that they're the major players in in any kind of cinema because you know most people have a netflix account if, if they don't have an Amazon, they'll either have one or the other, you know. So, you know, in the time when people can't even, if you can't be bothered to go to the cinema, you know, watch Netflix. Then again, they said that cinema wouldn't survive because of Netflix, but cinema is still surviving. Well, currently, barely, but, you know. Um, I think that they definitely do play a role. I think it, it comes to, in terms of popularity, when they became incredibly popular, they played a role. I think initially Netflix really changed TV. And Netflix is very much responsible for the rebirth of television, if you will, um, because people started to realize that, uh, and especially really big actors, directors and producers started to realize that actually there's a lot to be done in television. So now you've got massive actors going to television. A lot of that is because of Netflix, you know, when they started with uh, their production of Orange is the New Black or reviving Arrested Development, um, they kind of played a big role in that. And uh, a lot of people followed suit. Same with, for example, Amazon Prime with things like Transparent. That was won so many awards for them. I don't know yeah. if it would be the biggest thing of independent cinema because at the same time, independent cinema relies a lot on film festivals. Um, I was going yeah, to say, because I, I, I really wanted to watch the film um, 
watch it, Shia LaBeouf film, Honey Boy. Oh, it's on um, Amazon Prime. That's on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, I know it's on Amazon Prime, but until just now looking it up, I had like literally no idea it was on Amazon Prime. And it hasn't really generated a lot of like box office compared to its mm, budget. Yeah. And I feel like, it t- I think the difference, I, I mean, obviously, I think indie films do, like you said, pro- uh, progress better, better from the film festivals. But I feel like mm-hmm. Amazon Prime haven't really done a lot to like really publicise their their films or their independent films I feel like they're yeah, really like yeah. head, I think they're really headstrong on the bigger things like, I always see stuff about the boys but I never really still see stuff about the yeah. smaller films yeah, right. Netflix, I think, while I, Netflix I, Netflix yeah. will try and promote I think their smaller films they'll put on like the top 10 of the week even if yeah, it no. has done well or not um, I th- Ricky Gervais said something really similar. He was saying how Afterlife wouldn't had, have had the success that it did if, if it wasn't just always a preview at the very top of Netflix for Afterlife. And he's very yeah. thankful to Netflix for that. Amazon Prime, I don't think they're as great as that. But it might be that because they want to promote their own productions more. Honey Boy isn't their own production. It, they're distributing it, uh, but it's not their production. So oh, yeah, yeah. It, might, it might also be that. Well, yeah, whereas, I- for example, they have produced Afterlife. Yeah, so, yeah, that's fair. I also think um, Amazon Prime's interface really lets them down massively. I think we spoke about that yesterday, Shit. didn't we? I, yeah, yeah but we <laughs> it's so it's bad. Shocking. <laughs> Trying to find anything on Amazon Prime, and then you click on a film, and it's like, oh, paid me three ninety nine. I'm like, no, I paved you seven ninety nine this month to watch whatever I want. Don't tell me I've got to pay on top. Anyway, I know. I, you know, I, I, crazy, I, Netflix always Netflix do trailers like, yeah, like you say, yeah. I think in terms thing. of. In terms of independent films, I mean, obviously not everything on Netflix is shown in every country. But, you know, like Julie, you were saying, a lot of independent films have have limited release. But if you get onto Netflix, Mm -hmm. whether they distribute it or they just kind of have a kind of syndicate of it, you know, you could potentially be in hundreds of markets with millions of people accessing your film. Like, I think, was it Chris, you said about Peanut Butter Falcon, you wouldn't have known Mm -hmm. about it if it wasn't on Netflix, and and that's yeah. you know the sad truth, but you know it, it's really yeah, but important. But it is true. Really I mean, important for these. Yeah, I, I'm admit, like I, I think sometimes like I, so for me, I didn't say the thing about Peanut Butter Falcon, but um, for me, the only reason I knew really about this film was because I like watching um, Shia LaBeouf's film, and I think it, you either get it you either gets publicised enough through the medium you're watching it on or through the film festivals or you're a follower of certain types of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that yeah. with um, with the limited release thing, I just think of, again, Marriage Story. If it was just released in cinemas, I don't think anyone would... It was one of those films that barely anyone went to see. You still would have won a bunch of awards, but it's the kind of film festival kind of film. But instead, Noah was like, no, I want to put it on, on Netflix. But then... Again, his partner, Greta, doesn't put any of her films on Netflix or doesn't do anything with Netflix. Is that a concerted effort to do that, like a particular reason or? I don't know. I don't know. I think it, I think it just depends. It depends on who you work with, on who you have um, a relationship with. I mean, that's because Noah, the other day I watched the Myrit stories. They're on Netflix as well, produced by Netflix. So is the marriage story. Um, so we always just say when it's a Netflix production, by the way, they, they make it very clear when it's a Netflix production. I think that it depends who you like working with, you know, um, Noah clearly enjoys or has had a good feels at home working with Netflix. And then that's just his his thing. 
so I guess it's just it's mm. personal preference isn't it it's also like where the money is where the creativity is I mean if you think about it um Netflix isn't perfect in that way because um Michaela Cole um pulled out of pulled um I made a story out of Netflix because they weren't giving her enough creative control no, sorry they weren't giving her all of the royalties and then BBC One did so you know oh, okay um it's a it's a it's a question of you know it's not it's not black and white it's a question of 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 your negotiation and and how it works out they wanted to mm. implement her story 100% don't get me wrong but the um the fact is that they they weren't giving her they wanted to give her 0% of the royalties um 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 is that for I made a story yeah have you seen it I've only watched one episode. It's very right. good. It's very good. It is a very uncomfortable watch. Yeah. Uh, because I, I think that she managed to really, really make a, a TV series that moves and feels like we do. So you kind of, you, it makes you feel really in it. And it's um, a very uncomfortable watch. But it's, again, very good. When you say, but it's not something that you would binge like in a day. It's, it's a strong watch. When I said, when you said we, do you mean the viewers or do you mean women specifically? I think just anyone. I mean, uh, presumably women might feel uncomfortable watching it just because it can feel really personal to women because it is a, about a woman trying to rebuild her life after being sexually assaulted. But, you know, I think anyone felt quite uncomfortable watching it just because it, it also dealt, touched on some themes that made it very clear about you know male sexual assault and the the role that that men any man plays in it mm. um but yeah so like i was saying you know michaela cole decided to go with bbc one you know phoebe waller bridge also bbc one it depends on on who gives you what you're asking for yeah um mm-hmm. i don't think it's you know it just i don't know what goes on behind the scenes and there's negotiations there's a bunch of lawyers and agents and whatnot so it depends on that. But, you know, Netflix took a chance on film safety not guaranteed with a first-time director, first-time writer. It kind of set them up in a way. So this film is often credited with kind of changing the direction of indie cinema because then it allowed not just indie cinema, but also the role of streaming services in cinema. I was going to ask Safety not safety. guaranteed. It was um, directed by Colin Trevorrow, who did Jurassic World. Asked. And was supposed it? to yeah, do the Star Wars film. That's but, it. Um, That's what I was about yeah. to ask. I, was, I remember the name, but um, I couldn't remember what he was supposed to do. So, yeah, and it was um, written by a first-time scriptwriter as well. Okay. So. I mean, Mark Duplass is one of these like indie darlings, isn't he? Oh, uh, I love Mark Duplass. Kind of indie. Um, also, I think, Charlotte, uh, you know, this is, again, I'm not, I'm not saying this libelously, but Charlize Theron seems to have a thing for him because she's cast him in her husband. So, uh, wait, what in what yeah, film? Read into that what you will. Um, uh, Tully and Bombshell. Oh, yeah. Well, they must be friends. I don't know. I do like Mark Duplass. Um, Tom likes Mark Duplass a lot. That's why he actually watched this film with me because it had Mark Duplass. Wasn't he in the league? Uh, yeah, well, that's yeah, why Tom loves him because he was yeah, in the league. And I've hilarious. never watched the league. But I mean, just looking at this film's Wikipedia page. Budget of less than a million, 4.4 million box office, debuted at, surprise, surprise, Sundance. Um, the awards, you know, Gotham Independent Film Awards, Independent Spirit Awards, the film festivals that it was screened at, like, Leiden International Film Festival, other than Sundance. Like, it was, it is, I think this film is, like, 
do you want to explain what an indie film is? Show them this film. That is what a modern indie film is, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. Even so, the I mean, cast is, is pretty good. It's not like they don't have like million dollar stars in it, but really good cast. I mean, there are a lot of, um, you know, what would be considered big Hollywood actors that you know, they often do kind of dip into independent films or have a streak of doing independent films like Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. has, um, often does them. Is it a, a case or is it unfair to maybe it's unfair, but to me, it seems like independent films give you more scope for actually showing that you can act. Whereas oh, yeah, definitely. Big blockbuster films, it's sort of like you can play a character and, you know, have some cool action scenes but you know people are, and again this is probably why the big you know oscars and golden globes it's, it's often for more independent films that these yeah. awards are given is that no fair? and I, I i agree and i think it all comes down to and i know i bang on about this a lot the script um the film has a good script um and a good sort of vision for where the script is going at least then it allows an actor to show their range i mean I use the example of Scarlett Johansson. You know, if, if you were to show me her Marvel films, I would think, you know, she's like a very average actress. But, you know, when she did um, um, Lost in Translation and then most recently Jojo Rabbit and Marriage Story, you know, she was given so much r room to sort of show her range and, and she's regarded a good actress because of these films. Um, I'm interested when you say... You you know, there's such an importance on script because, I mean, this is just me. I I don't necessarily tune into like what necessarily is being said or how it's being said. So, what? How would you sum up like what? What do we need to look out for in a film that makes it a good screenplay or a good script? Well, there's no there's no like list or anything like that. I mean, I think you can tell when the script is bad, you know, is the dialogue corny? Is it awkward? You know, do you watch a romantic comedy and it's just, you know, well, why the most I can think of is like those really awkward and corny romantic comedies. Like that's a bad script. Um, for example, if you look back and, and, and I like Star Wars, but a lot of people criticize the dialogue in Star Wars and for George, yeah. and George Lucas Oof. not being able to write dialogue. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it, I mean, so you can look back at those things. I mean, the story is the beginning point, but the script is, is, is the foundation of it. I don't know that there's anything. And obviously I'm not a screenwriter. I mean, I wish I was a screenwriter. That would be a cool job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, the story, there's no, I don't think there's any formula, you know, all, all, all films are, are very different. I, I particularly think that a script is good when it's character driven. If a film has to rely on special effects in its entirety and there's no dialogue and there's none of that, probably not a great film, not a great script in my opinion. So, you know, when I think of a Marvel film, again, very entertaining, but the script plays a very small role in it. Um, and that's not to say that an independent film doesn't have special effects and things like that. A lot of independent films have a lot of special effects and they might even have a big budget, but a lot of the time it's not gonna be central to the story. Um, so, you know, there's, there's no, uh, there's no specific formula, <laughs> you know, to me, I like it when a dialogue, uh, you know, I look out for things like the pace of the film. Um, how does it, how, how does it, how does it roll? How does it feel? Things like, um, character development, uh, whether or not the plot is character driven dialogue, dialogue, so important dialogue, the way, the way people talk to each other. 
I mean, again, a lot of that is going to be down to how good the actor is in realizing that vision and the script. But if it's a bad script, the film is going to be terrible. I was listening to Helena Bonham Carter on um, Louis Theroux's podcast the other day, and, and she was saying how when she first went to America to do Planet of the Apes, which was a massive budget film, and she got to the to the she was very reluctant to this film, and when she got to this to the set, and there was like, God, it was the biggest set she'd ever been on. And then she went, she looked at one of the producers and she said, wow, like, this is so much. And, and then he, he said, yeah, no, it's great. And she said, well, it's a shame the script isn't a bit better. And he said, oh, but with a film like this, you don't need a good script. Um, <laughs> and that was something that she was, she was talking about in, in, in this interview is, is how now in the recent years, there's been a huge thing with, with the writing being so central to the story. When for a while in the, in the 2000s, they were producing these massive budget films with terrible scripts. I mean, uh, you know that film Armageddon and Deep Impact. I think of those films a lot as like late '90s films. Uh, interesting, interesting story, uh, fairly well executed. But the the script was terrible. I mean, the the dialogue was awkward. You know, it was it was frankly really cringy to watch. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, again, there's no formula, but that's just that's just how I see it. Yeah, fair enough. So, I mean. Chris, Obi, Julia, feel free to jump in. Any any kind of other kind of independent films that you know are particularly important? I mean, I've got to a million. You. Moonlight. <laughs> Moonlight. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And why? God, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, what is it about that to you that um, makes it a great example of an independent film? I think, like Julia said, that's like probably one of the most character-driven films that I've seen. <laughs> um, the acting was, mm. I think that that showed that gave all three actors who played uh, Chiron. I think the director, or whoever, gave them a lot of room to kind of to work, like a lot of room to work with, kind of thing. And I think it showed in the fact that they all were able to convey the same emotions. Like at similar points in their at similar points in their lives, um, I think the script was good, not great, uh, but good. Um, and yeah, I think that that did well in terms of it conveyed a story that lot not a lot of people uh, would have seen about or heard about before in previous cinema before then. In being you know growing up being a young black man in the, like as a homosexual fighting with your sexual identity that sort of thing which is not something that's typically been conveyed on screen before and probably wouldn't be conveyed on screen in by a major studio with like a massive budget behind it. I think that kind of story is perfect for uh, an independent cinema kind of thing, if that makes any sense. Is it, what I just said. For me, like throughout this discussion when I was doing a bit of research, to me, the, the term independent film seems to be framed purely within American cinema. Um it's always like, you know, the studio films are big American studios and anything that isn't that is independent, whether that's, you know, American independent cinema like Moonlight or you've got basically any sort of nation cinema, like British films would probably be considered independent films, you know, French films, Brazilian films, Spanish films, anything like that. Because, again, maybe they tend to have lower budgets. But yeah, for me, national cinema is not necessarily a big bombastic kind of special effects blockbuster so is it purely just framed within 
the American cinema kind of paradigm? Or I think I think it does tend to be, but at the same time, you know, if you think about it, there's going to be mass production companies in in all other countries, and at the same time, they're, all, they're also going to have their own form of independent cinema. I mean, in the in the in the UK, we have the British um, Independent Film Festival, yeah. mm-hmm. and the no, and the British Independent Film Awards as well, mm. um, where you know where we're also showcasing British independent films because you know you also have big budget British productions. I mean, look at um, any Tom Hooper film or otherwise big productions, but yeah. you know. So, you know, there's still, there's still going to be that. I think it is very, very much used in, in an independent context. But then again, Europe has some of the biggest film festivals in the world. And a lot of the films that get screened there are independent. Mm. Um, so I, I, think, I think you're right about it being very America-centered. But, I, but it can be, an, um, but it can, it can translate. Like, for example, one of the films that I was going to say that was really good that I saw recently would be a New Zealand production. It was the Taika Waititi film, um, a Hunt for the Wilder People. That would be considered an independent film based on the fact that it, was, it wasn't a big production. It was produced by Taika himself. Um, I love that film. Then again, some... What? I love that film. It's such a good film, isn't it? Again, amazing script. Do you yeah. see what I mean by amazing I love script? It's the line where he goes... Um, says something about Sam Neill being Caucasian. He goes, he's not Asian, he's white. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, That boy is very good. Um, The actor. Um, Not in in Deadpool 2, but he was in that film, yeah. Yeah, in that film. And and again, that film is incredibly character-driven. I mean, that wasn't a big-budget production. It is is really just a, a guy, an old, what you consider maybe like an old grumpy man and this young boy who's uh, you know, uh, who is um, a Maori of Maori descent, but obsessed with hip hop um, in the foster system. It's just them talking to each other most of the time with bar a few moments where they run into other people. It's very funny. It, it, it's one of those films where you can't really constrain it to a particular genre because it can also be quite sad, but it's also very funny in my opinion. Um, the dialogue is very central to the story. You know, it's, it, it, I think that's a good example of an indie film, but it's also what we would say, oh, it's a foreign film. Not a foreign language film, but it's a foreign film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Any, any more, like, you know, great examples? I mean, for me, I think something like, um, I mean, Ex Machina really enjoyed the Alex Garland film. Yeah, um, I've actually not you seen can really, that, but yeah. It's brilliant. Um, and I think there's a, a common theme of, like, Ones I think of, like David Fincher films. I mean, not all of them are independent, but you know, like his earlier ones, Fight Club, things like that. A lot of these mm. directors uh, or screenwriters, you know, Aaron Sorkin, have a really particular style, and that mm-hmm. I think independent films allows you to showcase that. Like you mentioned, Wes Anderson. I mean, if you if you mm-hmm. took a still Wes Anderson film and you knew about Wes Anderson, you could instantly tell, like, because it's so symmetrical and everything. Well, exactly and and I've actually got Wes Anderson and a lot of his films in my list because he he he's he his one he writes all of his scripts he's got a very they've they've all got this very absurdist sense of humor going on um you know for example in the world tenenbaums which is a cult film you know you've got you know it's a scene where at the end the brother and sister kiss I mean 
obviously anyone uh, would know that that's that's horrendous but in that film you know it, it it's meant to be sort of you know you know it's absurd but you kind of you you go with it because of the context of the film um the the setting um the colors um the cinematography the pace it's very specific to him i just think of something like grand budapest hotel i mean that was entirely you know his vision i mean it it, it, it was a gorgeous set um and it was very funny at the same time there, i don't think anyone you could ever get Wes Anderson to do anyone else's film and you couldn't get anyone else to do a Wes Anderson film. It's very specific to him. So his films are independent for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. And he wants to keep it that way. And even so, you know that a Wes Anderson film is going to be incredibly successful. Um, same with, um, if you think about it, Quentin Tarantino. I mean, Pulp Fiction was an independent film, is an independent film. Um but it's a cult favorite nowadays. So I think it's just, um, yeah. same with Richard Linklater as well. Richard Linklater, he is a very, very odd, he likes to take on these strange projects, but it works for him. What's he done? Uh, Boyhood. Um, uh, you know the one, it's the film where they filmed it in about 14 years following the life of a boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've not seen it. It's on my list. It is on my list as well. I haven't seen it. But also the Before Sunrise series, which is, you know, probably I think one of my favorite films of all time is Before Sunrise and all its sequels, um, which I think is a great example of an indie film because it is essentially entirely dialogue. Okay. So, yeah, I guess when you say things like, you know, heavy on the dialogue to me it conjures up i guess sort of like like something like a play like uh, offenses mm-hmm. for example the denzel washington film i know it was based on a play is, obviously is, is that an indie film there's something about is that an indie film because i was going to suggest that one i, know. I mean i'll try, i'll look it up but yeah i mean reductive um but to me you know, from what you're describing in terms of like the dialogue heaviness, it's like it could almost be a bit of a play because the the setting the settings are important, but it's they're like real world locations and it's not your kind of zipping across space necessarily. And you know, um, I don't know. That was just um, a, a hot take. Well, it was produ- It was distributed by Paramount, so I'm not sure. But the production behind it is quite a few different productions, not massive ones, but pre- but distributed by Paramount. But again, yeah. small budget, twenty-four million. I know. I know that in the past, in the nineties, this would have been so much for an indie film, twenty-four million. But mm. nowadays, I feel like that's pretty standard. Mm. Things just cost more, though, think... don't it? That's the problem. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I feel like these VOD platforms are sort of the best place at the moment for these kind of middle-budget films because you know your mm. big blockbusters obviously need all the ticket money, so they have to go into cinemas and also your really low budget ones that you know like your kind of blumhouse production horror films they're made for like two million dollars but end up making like 30 so the ones in the middle where if they get released in cinemas they probably won't make their budget back sort of need to have a a place to live yeah yeah it's a but but you know what you were saying about horror films um independent cinema was very important for horror films if you look at the blair witch project 
Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking of. That was, that was literally a guy who wrote a script, got a few students together with a camera mm. and, and did it. The budget was, it was nothing. It was the mm. pennies. It was, it was nothing. Was that and 60 it, quid it's become point? a cult. <laughs> what, what? Wasn't it like 60 pounds or something like that? Let me let me look Blair Witch Project. Um, it was it was simple. It was it was ridiculous. Um, uh, cheap for that film. But when you said independent film, film, that's the first thing I thought of Blair Witch Project. Have you seen that? Yes. Watched it in media. Wikipedia yeah. says between two hundred and five hundred thousand, but I don't know whether that was like. Oh, right. That was the that would have been the distribution, wouldn't it? Yeah, I was going to say yeah, distribution. Because um, if I, I mean, look at production, million. yeah, but when you look at production, it was made by students at the University of Central Florida. So I guess, and this is what I was going to say, is that independent, the rise of independent cinema, especially in the 90s, allowed for amateur filmmakers and student filmmakers to get their films, and stu- especially student films, shown. Um, because it, they started getting distributed at small film festivals and eventually would get picked up for distribution by big, um, by bigger or biggish um, companies. So this is an example of that, that it was a student project that was literally just filmed like that and then um, kind of brought, brought on um, a bigger distribution. And there's a thing, there's a film that's coming out that I'm dying to see and it's um, going to be airing at South by Southwest Festival. And it was started off as someone's like short film for their film class at NYU. And now it's become like a film and it, it got picked up to, to then be turned into a feel, full film. It's, go, it's still going to be an independent film and uh, it's called Shiva Baby, but I'm really excited to see it. And it started just for being a student production and independent cinema kind of allowed for that. So I have a love for independent cool? cinema. Okay. Shiva Baby. Shiva. Shiva. Um, oh, like the, right. um, um, like it's like um, the to you know to sit Shiva. Oh right, um, yeah, with you, with us, yeah. So it's um, yeah. So it, um, yeah. So I'm really excited for that to come out. It's actually Obi. It's got that um, it's got Quinn from Glee in it. Oh, okay, decent. Um, but other than that, the cast is completely unknown, and the, mm. so is the director. She literally was just a student at NYU. So independent cinema has really been like such a, a, a gateway. For also like, you know, um paranormal activity. That was basically no budget. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's true. Yeah. Oh not five, su- not surprised. This this screened at Sundance. Um I mean uh Blair Witch Project. Oh, right. oh okay. Yeah. I mean I would even if I was to make a film, I wouldn't even know how to get into a festival like that. You know, I don't oh, know. My friend, my friend has his own production company, and they mostly do short films, and they get screened at all kinds of film festivals. Not big ones, but there's Remember like a million sh- of them. But do you Remember have to own your own film company or... like your friend though, or can you just put in a film? Into I suppose you could. I, I suppose you could, but it, I, I think I don't know exactly the state of production nowadays but I would imagine that having a small production company backing you would be a huge help I mean yeah. otherwise where are you going to get the money I mean at the end of the day equipment costs and production costs even if it's nearly anything you know my friends films aren't going to be high budget films but they're still like relatively you know they still have a director an assistant director um he, need, yeah. he actually one time needed to use my flat for something and he came and he needed to come in with a 
with what he would call a subsidized crew of 15 people. So even with a small production, 15 people was still like his small version of it. Um, so, <laughs> and he doesn't even have a huge production company. It's called Three Wheel Entertainment. I'm, gonna, I'm giving them a little shout out. Yeah. Uh, but they've, they've, they've been nominated for quite a few um, awards. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's my friend Abe. Uh, I'm so proud of him. Ooh. Wow. Well, it'd be interesting to talk to them. Sorry, we cut, we, we cut you off, Abe. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, do you remember we went to that, that film thing that, um, B, was it BMI? The place in South, South Bank? And we saw that a few films there, like they were like short films. And it was oh, like, yeah, the one that Glenn got Yeah, that was really shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just looking at Three Will Entertainment, and they've been screened at Burbank International Film Festival, Prague independent film festival golden state film festival they've won like quite a few awards they've won best um screenplay at the flicks film festival so in the end there's like a million of these little film festivals that you can get your films into yeah i was in um tromso in norway which is like the arse end of nowhere and um even they had like a film festival that was being advertised i was like what you're usually going into the arctic circle to have a film festival but you know starting a film festival could actually actually is a way of like developing your town and things like that. I remember I was in Zanzibar and they had a Zanzibar film festival. But there's nothing in Zanzibar apart from like, you know, tourist well like resorts and like a really old town. Um, I love Zanzibar. Don't get me oh. wrong, but like I would never have thought that Zanzibar is a place where you'd screen a film. Um, yeah. So and for example, um, Robert De Niro developed Tribeca Film Festival in order to bring life to the Tribeca neighborhood of New York of which he's been a long-term na- um, resident of. And um, Robert Redford started Sundance to develop um, the film landscape in Utah. So, mm, Fascinating. Um, yeah. Are there any other films or topics with relation to independent films that anyone wants to touch on? Well, I just wanted to say, you know what Obi was saying about the BMI is it BMI we watch? We watch show? BFI? Something like that. BFI. I think it wouldn't have been the BFI. Yeah. British Film Institute. Yeah. So them short films we watched on that occasion, was it like three of them on 20 minutes long or whatever it was? Or was it one long one? I can't even remember. Is that considered... Is they considered short films? Or they just considered like... I don't know, like some kind of like work of art that they've done because they were bizarre films. I think they were short films. I think if it's under half an hour, it's called as a short film, right? Or something like that. Yeah, I don't know exactly, but it would have been. So then would that kind of film also be classed as an indie film? Or does it have to be distributed widely to then become an indie film as well? I feel like it's got to be an indie film by by definition, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think those were more specifically sort of like what wasn't it more to do with the music because they they were sort of audio at a strange yeah, I audio kind I, of I, I don't know what they were to do with to be honest with you mate they were they were fun <laughs> yeah um, yeah i mean it was interesting yeah, not necessarily a cup of tea it was very very uh if you're like it opened your mind to what else there is yeah maybe yeah it was it was it was um worth seeing you know, just as a different way of putting together a film. I, I specifically remember there being one relating relating to like fish and chips and newspapers. Yeah, black, something <laughs> no. to do with Blackpool. 
yeah. shit. I forgot about that. I was thinking of the uh, the alien killing robot thingy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, man, this one's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> In my opinion. Big respect to them for, uh, you know, being able to create their vision and have it distributed at the BFI. So, you know, I suppose it's quite symbolic, isn't it? A lot of like indie films are quite symbolic. So I suppose that was their way of uh, having their adaptation of their symbolism of what they were doing. Yeah. And all it takes is one big break and then you can sort of do what you want. You know, Kevin Smith is a testament to that. Oh, fuck, yeah. films about... <laughs> Turning into walrus, you know. That is the wor- one of the worst films I've seen in my absolute. Oh my god, that is such a waste of time. Which, you know, what gives me kind of hope is that there are some people who genuinely love Tusk, and I'm just like, wow. If if Tusk can have some stands, then you know. But we but could maybe they love it in the way that people love the room. I was thinking. Oh, you read my mind. Yeah, I but like. Like, because it's got well, Obi, I feel like, yeah, but also because, like, The Room has become, I mean, they've literally made a film about the making of The Room. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because because people are fascinated by bad films, like, bad films that are so bad that they're good. But also because, I mean, The Room was just so bizarrely bad that it just fascinated people. Yeah. One of those films that he, if he tried, he genuinely could not have made it as bad. It was the fact that he, no. he thought it was going to be like a masterpiece or something. But wasn't like, it, wasn't it also because he spent so much money on it, though? Like, I feel like he didn't he spend like countless amounts of money on it and everyone was well, like, Well, he spent his own money from. on it. Yeah, but... He, yeah, he didn't spent, he spend like, his own money on it? Yeah, and no one knew where he got his money from. That's still a mystery to this <laughs> day. Yeah. He, he's an enigma, isn't he, Tommy yeah, Wiseau? Massive, but, yeah, it's fair play. Like, it's, it, was it become a cult film, wasn't it? Essentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it has. Yeah. I, I mean, just from I, I've actually never seen Tusk before. Alone, it's probably made. Oh, I, I've got it on DVD. If you want to borrow it, Julia. So. Uh, oh my God, it's got it's got Justin Long and Haley Joel Osment on it. It's got Ashley Green on it. She was in Twilight. It's got Lily Rose Depp in it. I mean, like, let's oh, be honest. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I think a lot of people that are in it are his recurring characters that he uses in a lot of films. Or yeah, uh, I mean, he's or Johnny Depp's daughter. They're like best mates. Oh my god, it was released by A24. What are they doing? <laughs> I love Kevin. That's I do that's love A24. Really they they do some great films. Yeah, they are really interesting, aren't they? Has anyone seen relatively um, new. I think it's still Yes. I want to see that ever since Glenn told me about it. It's really good, Midsummer. It is incredibly creepy and I genuinely think um... hate it, Chris. Do you think? It's just yeah, it's it's um, I don't know. It's quite a, a a tough watch in a sense that there's a lot of like audio visual kind of things that don't necessarily, you know, um, what's the word like? Dis, uh, uh, dissonant? No, I don't think that's the right word. But like the the soundtrack, there's a sequence where she's literally like people just screaming, and it's quite. In terms of the audio, you're like, oh, it's quite uncomfortable. It's so creepy. Um, it, it is, but it's meant to be uncomfortable. Oh yeah, um, definitely, definitely. And also just, just, just disturbing. Like they, I mean, the director Ari Aster wanted to disturb people, and actually, the whole film is based on a breakup of his relationship. Yeah. And he kind of did a metaphor for it. 
people are so yeah. I think people find creativity a, in such great places. Is this a film about a cult and they like jump off cliffs? Yeah. Oh well there is a scene where they do that, but it is about yeah. a like a pagan cult in like the rural bit of Sweden. But obviously these these people they go to it without realizing that it's a cult, obviously. They they just get invited by their Swedish friend, like, oh I grew up in this like commune. Um, and they go there and then they don't realize that it's really like one of those like murder communes where they like sacrifice people and shit. That is some that is some metaphor. Yeah. The visuals are great <laughs> for that film though. Better for a lot of pain. Yeah. The visuals are really I good mean, though. In, yeah. Uh, uh, pivoting from independent. Um unless anyone else has anything else to say are, are there any kind of new, new releases that anyone's watched and wants to discuss um i watched devil all which i was, I was gonna watch that until you fan, made to be honest. it's got quite a yeah. nice cast yeah i was gonna watch that because of the cast but then i read up on it and i was just like this seems a bit nah not my thing but i'll it's, give it a shot it's one of those films where the some of its parts are kind of more impressive than the whole um so it's basically one of these like southern american post-war dramas and it's it's set in this town called knockham stiff in uh i don't know where it is virginia or somewhere like that and um it's about this family um the dad's just come back from the war played by bill skarsgård who was pennywise in the most recent version of it um, among other films and um, it's just one of these it's two hours 20 minutes long and I mean I'm not being funny there's like a character dying every 10 minutes it's just relentlessly grim and um, I mean the, the treatment of women in it it's like mm, you know they pretty much uh, our mothers um, have babies and then are killed mm. or die um, mm. and you're sort of like oh okay um yeah and I'm guessing that film does not pass the Bechdel test probably not no and Robert Patterson plays like a pedo preacher um, oh I saw like a like a like like a clip of him with his like weird preacher southern accent and it creeped me out to my very core um yeah. Yeah, it's just you know the cast is impressive Robert Patterson Tom Holland Bill Skarsgård but, like, um, Riley is Tom Keepo. Holland any good in it? Because I know that he's clearly been making a lot of efforts to be like, oh, I'm not just like a, um, like a superhero film actor. I'm a serious actor. I wonder if he can be a serious film actor. Yeah, I mean, he's he, all right he in this, in, you know. Hasn't he been in quite a few films, Tom Holland? Yeah, he was in The Impossible and, you know. Yeah, but, um, the Imp- oh, yes, he was in The Impossible, though he was really young when he did that. Actually, one of my friends, before he was Spider-Man, he, like, messaged her on Tinder and she messaged him for a bit and ignored him and then he became Spider-Man. <laughs> um, uh, so that was really cool. <laughs> um, but, so yeah. I mean, yeah, he's fine in this. You know, I respect him for taking on a part that isn't, you know, necessarily in keeping with his Marvel image, which is, you know, mm. good. I mean, Sebastian Stan's done the same. He's in this film. But there's just, I mean, it's not hugely interesting and, you know, there's sort of three main kind of pockets of characters that end up intertwining but i sort of watched it and it didn't really done anything for me that was i wasn't you know the acting isn't great the storyline isn't too riveting it's just sort of a collection of good actors and 
really grim storylines. And to me, that doesn't necessarily make, make a good film. No, um, and I know what you mean. It's one of those films that tries really hard to, like, I'm, a good, I'm going to make a good film. Like, oh, Oscar bait, that's what it is. Um, when you really badly yeah. want to do, like, an Oscar-winning film, so you put in all the elements and actors that will make a good um, Oscar film. There's so many like that, but I feel like now people have caught on to that, so it's hard to get away with it, which is why this film probably won't get away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's one of about three films probably eligible for the Oscars this year. But... I was going to say. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I watched the Emmys, um, and the Emmys were, like, quite awkward. I, I don't, I don't know. It was all right, but I don't even know how they're going to be able to do award shows. No, no, me neither. I mean, well, did you see the Emmys? The they just did it, so they put cameras in people's homes. Yeah. Um, and then just showed them like sitting there in their home, and obviously, obviously, like Jimmy Kimmel was hosting, so he did have some people on stage with him. Barely anyone. the The crowd was just cardboard, so there wasn't an actual crowd. They just added in like laughter and stuff, and then they would like um, people would just show him, like sitting in their homes, um, and then some guy in a hazmat suit would bring them their Emmy, which also means that there was someone in a hazmat suit standing outside your home. Yeah. as they're announcing it so you kind of know if you're going to win don't you like there's a guy outside my house that means that the award is here that means i'm going to win nope. like there i don't know how they would have there was an actor who was nominated and, and um he didn't win and he filmed the hazmat guy turning around and just walking away so i think they had them possibly outside all the nominees oh. Houses? i don't know oh okay well that makes sense because i was just thinking like how would they do that it? But that also means, I mean, because there's people, uh, I mean, in who are like based in London that were nominated, like people here in Hampstead. That does that mean that by my house there were people in houses standing outside people's houses? Like Probably. I understand if it's, if everyone lives in LA, but okay, now that kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, it was just, I mean, I I applaud them for being able to pull it off, but you know, it's just a bit awkward. Yeah. And then the only other thing I've seen recently was Enola Holmes, which was not my sort of uh, film. I imagine it's not very good. No, I keep seeing not adverts particularly. For it. A, I mean, the period setting's quite good, but then, you know, there's... She says, the game is afoot. And I was like, yeah, well, there's fuckery afoot here because I sat through this for two hours. <laughs> but... Um... <laughs> Obi, are you yeah. dying? Ob that really tickled you, Obi. This fuckery foot. <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that really sorry. tickled Please. Obi. Carry on. Um, yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I Apparently, mean, they also let that 16 year old girl produce it. Um, Millie Bobby <laughs> Brown. Millie Bobby Brown, yeah. So, I don't know. She's 16. I feel like now it. What? I can't believe she's 16. She was only in Strange Things. She was like eight the other day. Yeah, but you know, like she's got like she's got like everything now. She's got like her own makeup line and her mm. skincare line, and now she's producing things. Like these these kids, like when when someone likes you in Hollywood, you just get everything. Yeah. So you you just gotta be able to to know how to handle it. So can't knock yeah. the I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I wasn't really. I'm not too inclined to watch it. Doesn't seem like my thing. But I might do just because my my very good neighbor and personal friend Helena Bonham Carter is in it. So. Oh, uh, your personal friends with Helena Bonham Carter. Okay, maybe she. I wish come on I the was. I mean, I I, I I I pass by her on the street quite <laughs> quite 
I don't know if I could ask her to come on the podcast. Maybe I could. Tom says she looks like a homeless woman, which she does. You tell her. But, um, you tell her I'm still um, angry about her killing Sirius Black. Thank you. No, I'm not going to say anything to her. I don't even, like, the most that I do is, like, when I see her at Pilates, I might just be like, hi, how are you? But I don't, like, interact with you her. You have a Pilates class with uh, Helena Bonham Carter. Well, she goes to the same studio I do. I've, um, so I've seen her there a couple of times. Well, God, bar, you're rocking shoulders with royalty. You live I've near seen, I mean, this is... you'll, be, you'll be surprised at all the people that we see around here. The other day, we saw Jimmy Carr, we saw David Mitchell, like just like Damn. pretty much everyone. Tom's run past Sam Smith a few times, Harry Styles. They all live around here. Oh, name drop. Not... Humble brag. Jeez, nice one. Well, it's not like well, I uh... actually know them. I just see I know, them in I'm the just... street. I'm teasing you. But, but because Helena Bottom but... Carter lives like on the road, okay, next be interesting to mine, got... I see her a lot. Do you call her hells? No. I mean, oh. I mean, I see her walking my dog. She sees me walking my dog. She's got a very young, very handsome boyfriend. You know, it's just it's just the kind of thing, like, she, I mean, maybe at one point, like, she'll also recognize me from just from seeing me a lot. She walks past oh, my house a lot. exclusive. But I don't That's know. An exclusive. She's got a young boyfriend. No, I think everyone knows that. They're always, because then I always see them photographed, like, going to the shops, which is the shops that I go to, so it's kind of weird. And I'm actually a bit offended that I've never been photographed. You know? Yeah, that's... Standing behind her in the queue or something. You should photobomb her. I w- well, this is the thing. So there's always all these paparazzi pictures of her, like, going to the shop, walking down the street, which is my street and the shops that I go to, but I never, ever see paparazzi outside. And I don't know if that I'm just distracted, but I never see them. Or are they that good? Mm. Yeah, they hide. They blend. I don't know. Maybe yeah, but they I don't know hide. Where they'd be able to blend to? They're in the frozen section of Budgeon. Probably. How I do you know, know that we go to Budgeon? But, um, oh, I'm psychic. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe ask Hells uh, next time you're in Pilates what she thought of the script of Enola Holmes, seeing she was a bit, you know, snooty about the Planet of the Apes one, because. Uh, you know, interesting to see. I think she has the right to be snooty because she was just like, you know, women in these scripts are terrible. I mean, I mean, can you blame her, Glenn? She was a literal ape. I don't think that she's, she wanted <laughs> to be an ape in the film. But also, you know, she did, you know, she, I mean, I, I understand where she's coming from. Where she was talking about how roles for women in Hollywood were really bad. Either you were a femme fatale or you were some kind of virginal, you know, um, sort of being and she, she was saying how Fight Club was the first film that she properly did in like Hollywood where she got to play like an actual interesting character you know yeah. she wasn't she was kind of femme fatalish but not really again that's an independent film so you broke up a little bit there but um I mean so for me Enola Holmes was just quite unfocused so like you have Millie Bobby Brown playing Enola Holmes, like talking to the camera and looking at the camera like quirky way. Like I'm I'm Enola and uh, I'm Sherlock's sister. You know Sherlock, don't you? You know it's like okay, cool, yeah. We well, so um, you mean like breaking the fourth wall? Yeah, and um, so like the plot point is that you know her older brothers Mycroft and Sherlock left home ages ago, and she grew up just her and her mum, played by Helena Bonham Carter, who's a personal friend of Julia, and. Um, you know, then her mum goes friends, missing on her actually. 16th birthday. And uh, and then 
and you know, then fuckery is afoot and she has to go and try and find her mum. But then while she's trying to find her mum, she meets this handsome young Marquis, um, who's also running away of from course she his does. privilege. And um, of course he does. Yeah. And but, and then and then it sort of shifts and, and rather than trying to find her mum, she just starts helping this Marquis. And she's she, she does talk a lot about I don't need men and you know there's like a kind of feminist undertone to it but then eventually she's like she's like oh but he's cute isn't he and uh you know I'm gonna help him and, and then she does and then there's this like subplot about suffragettes and like voting reform but it really isn't focused a lot on that which, which I think is a missed opportunity because you know there are some sort of you know, pro kind of equality undertones to this obviously set in like the Victorian times which is great but then they don't focus on it enough and it eventually just becomes this sort of quasi love story between two teenagers and then by the end then right I, I mean I won't spoil it then but you know the, the whole point about where her mum's gone just becomes pretty irrelevant I thought they were really? gonna okay. there was a sort of a point where I thought oh maybe they're gonna do a V for Vendetta style thing because her mum you know seems to be hoarding dynamite in terms of like you know potentially blowing up embankment for like women's suffrage and stuff and then they just sort of forget about that and it's like oh he's so handsome isn't he and I was like oh, okay well I can't that's how I kind of felt in the latest season of Stranger Things where like all the kids have boyfriends and are making out with each other like I just thought that was so awkward to me they're still kids so yeah I can see that that's really awkward um, no, nah, I don't know. Even just when it comes up on Netflix, it's not really like it doesn't make me want to watch it. Like the trailer that comes up, so no, I'll probably uh, give that a pass. Uh, I, I, I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't hear a single word. Anything else anyone wants to touch on? Before? Oh, sorry. I, I don't uh, know if my internet's been bad. I don't know how much you've heard of what I've been saying, but hopefully enough. But um, yeah, just. Anything else anyone wants to touch on before we wrap up? Uh, I mean, I did watch that film, The Gentleman, but we can talk about that another time. Quite a long podcast. All right. Well, we're almost at two hours, which is a good good stretch. Um, yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on, Julia. You're welcome anytime. Uh, oh, thanks, you, know, you just guys. Feel- Give us a message. And, I was surprised uh, when I was asked back. I was like, oh, I oh, could right. be like a special correspondent. Yeah, I'll occasionally you come a... in to, to like speak about something really specific or, you know, I don't know. I no, could be like it doesn't... a. doesn't have to be. You can just come on and just, you know, chew the fat with us as we usually do. Obi's left in protest, it seems. Um, but oh my God. Uh, where's yeah, Obi? I just realised that he's gone. Probably poor, poor internet. Oh, um, okay. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you, and thank you for bringing your knowledge of indie films. Like I said, you don't have to come on to talk specifically about anything. You know, we tend to just chat about what we've watched in the previous couple of weeks. So, whenever you've got a spare couple of hours on a Sunday, give us a. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. usually Obi, Obi will message me. So. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's a, it's a very day when we do it now. It's not yeah. always Sunday, is it? Yeah. No. Sure. Yeah. 
true. But the wonders well, of technology, we can arrange. Yeah. Do you, have, do, you, do you usually have any guests on? No. Once, I mean, once every year, I'd say, is what happens <laughs> at the moment. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Whenever, whenever OB messages me, do you want to come on? I'm always happy to do it. Um, but, yeah. I did suggest one time I should come in and talk about coming of age films because Obi says he doesn't understand what a coming of age film is. What? I love coming He's, of age oh, films. Well, he didn't watch Peanut Butter Falcon, but I would say that that was one. But um, yeah, in so many ways, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that can be another topic: coming of age films. Cool. Well, thank another you for your time, I'm Julia. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, as usual, nice to talk with you, Chris. Obi's yeah. fucked off, but uh, you know. Hey ho. And uh, yeah, well, I guess I should do the usual plugs of tweet us at YSC Podcast 17. We're on Instagram and YouTube and iTunes as Ravage Critics. Julia, do you want to plug anything? Um, I remember last time you mentioned you were going to start your own podcast. Oh, God, don't even remind me of that. I, I, saw, I, I recorded a couple <laughs> episodes and then I was just like, so I thought, oh my God, this is so bad. And I just ended up not doing anything with the episodes that I recorded. Um, oh, you should, you should post them. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like oh. I need to tweak it and change things. And when I can be bothered, I'll do it. No, you can just um, follow me on Instagram and Twitter um, at the Jubes and Miss Mazu on Twitter. I'm so. I don't know why I just plugged myself, but yeah, sure, follow me. I don't care. Plug yourself. Plug away. You know. <laughs> I don't post anything interesting. And there's like pictures of my dogs. If you want to look at pictures of my dogs, follow me on Instagram. Or obviously yeah. selfies with you and Helena. Ah, oh, yeah, my, my close personal friend. Yeah. Well, all right, tune in next time. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about the boys or the gentlemen or something like that. But um, yeah, otherwise, take care. Keep it sexy. <laughs>